CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Mueller Report. We're on page 99. Denis Klimnatov, an employee of NES, the new the new economic school in Moscow, said that when Russians learned of Page's involvement in the Trump campaign in March 2016, the excitement was palpable. Weber recalled that in summer 2016, there was substantial interest in the Trump campaign in Moscow, and he felt that bringing a member of the campaign to the new school would be beneficial. Page was eager to accept the invitation to speak at the new school, and he sought approval from Trump campaign officials to make the trip to Russia. On May 16, 2016, while that request was still under consideration, Page emailed Clovis, J.D. Gordon, and Walid Fares and suggested the candidate Trump take his place speaking at the commencement ceremony in Moscow. On June 19, 2016, Page followed up again to request approval to speak at the NES event and to reiterate that NES, quote, would love to have Mr. Trump speak at the annual celebration in Page's place. Campaign manager Corey Lewandowski responded the same day, saying, quote, if you want to do this, it would be outside of your role with the, with the uh, DJT for President campaign. I am certain Mr. Trump will not be able to attend, end quote. In early July 2016, Page traveled to Russia for the NES events. On July 5, 2016, Denis Klimnatov, copying his brother Dmitry Klimnatov, emailed Maria Zakharova, the director of the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Information and Press Department, about Page's visit and his connection to the Trump, to Trump campaign. Denis Klimnatov said in the email that he wanted to draw the Russian government's attention to Page's visit in Moscow. His message, message to Zakharova continued, quote, Page is Trump's advisor on foreign policy. He is a known businessman. He used to work in Russia. If you have any questions, I would be happy to help contact him, end quote. Dmitry Kalimnatov then contacted Russian Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov about Page's visit to see if Peskov wanted to introduce Page to any Russian government officials. The following day, Peskov responded to what appears to have been the same Denis Kalimnatov Zakharova email thread. Peskov wrote, quote, I have read about Page. Specialists say he is far from being the main one. So better, I better not initiate a meeting in the Kremlin, end of quote. On July 7, 2016, Page delivered the first of his two speeches in Moscow at NES. In the speech, Page criticized the U.S. government's foreign policy toward Russia, stating that, quote, Washington and other Western capitals have impeded potential progress through their often hypocritical focus on ideas such as democratization, inequality, corruption, and regime change. On July 8, 2016, Page delivered a speech during the NES commencement. After Page delivered his commencement address, Russian Deputy Prime Minister and NES board member Arkady 
Dvorkovich spoke at the ceremony and stated that the sanctions the United States had imposed on Russia had hurt the NES. Page and Dvorkovich shook hands at the commencement ceremony, and Weber recalled that Dvorkovich made statements to Page about working together on the future, in the future. The rest of that paragraph has been redacted and deleted by Bill Barr. Page said that during his time in Moscow, he met with friends and associates he knew from when he lived in Russia, including Andrei Baranov, a former Gazprom employee who had become the head of investor relations at Rosneft, a Russian energy company. Page stated that he and Baranov talked about immaterial non-public information. Page believed he and Baranov discussed Rosneft President Igor Sechin, and he thought Baranov might have mentioned the possibility of a, of a sale of a stake in Rosneft in passing. We're on page 101 now. Page recalled mentioning his involvement in the Trump campaign with Baranov, although he did not remember details of the conversation. Page also met with individuals from Tat Tatneft, a Russian energy company, to discuss possible business deals, including having Page work as a consultant. On July 8, 2016, while he was in Moscow, Page emailed several campaign officials and stated that he would send, quote, a readout soon regarding some incredible insights and outreach I've received from a few Russian legislators and senior members of the presidential administration here. On July 9th, 2016, Page emailed Clovis, writing in pertinent part, quote, Russian Deputy Prime Minister and NES board member Arkady Dvorkovich also spoke before the event. In a private conversation, Dvorkovich expressed strong support for Mr. Trump and a desire to work together toward, devised better, toward devising better solutions in response to the vast range of current international problems. Based on feedback from a diverse array of other sources in the presidential administration, it was readily apparent that this sediment was widely held at all levels of government, end quote. Despite these representations to the campaign, and then the rest of that paragraph has been blocked off by Bill Barr. The office was unable to obtain additional evidence or testimony about who Page may have met or communicated with in Moscow. Thus, Page's activities in Russia, as described in his emails with the campaign, were never fully explained. Page 102. D. Later campaign work. This is still Carter Page. Later campaign work and removal from the campaign. In July 2016, after returning from Russia, Page traveled to the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. While there, Page met Russian Ambassador to the United States, Sergei Kislyak. That interaction is described in Volume 1. Page later emailed campaign officials with feedback he said he received from ambassadors he had met at the convention. And he wrote that Ambassador Kislyak was very worried about candidate Clinton's worldviews. And then the rest of that paragraph is redacted by Bill Barr. It's the Mueller Report. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And the issue of trade is a huge one. And it's really the subtext of trade is jobs. And this is something that Donald Trump is running on. This is something that the Democrats, frankly, should be running on. There is lots here and lots of opportunity. And the real expert on all this stuff is Lori Wallach. She's the executive director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. TradeWatch.org is the website. Lori, welcome back to the program. 
Thank you so much. It's great having you with us. So Trump is going to the G20. He was going to cut a deal with Xi in China. Now he's not. Then he might. And then you've got his whole Mexico-Canada thing where he wants to rebrand NAFTA and put his name on it. Anyhow, where are we at with all this stuff? So let's start maybe with China. The president, as a candidate, said that on day one, he would impose sanctions against China as a currency manipulator, which even supporters of the trade, the job-killing trade status quo, have admitted millions of U.S. manufacturing jobs have been lost under the China trade policies that Democratic and Republican presidents alike have promoted. But day one came and year one came and the Trump administration decided, nope, not going to fall through on that campaign promise. And Tom, since then, the U.S. trade deficit with China has only grown every single year of the Trump administration with tens of thousands of more jobs lost. So taking urgent action on China and trying to get a new trade policy between the U.S. and China certainly is a priority. The question really that has been the question all along, but is coming to a head again with this big summit, is will the administration's approach make the changes that can make a difference for American workers? And my sense of it is that if Trump continues to use national security as the excuse, I get that if you're doing it on computer chips. I don't see where national security can be as excuse for tariffs, for example, on things like children's clothing. And that's not going to survive the end of his presidency. It really seems like this is something that Congress should be discussing. Or am I missing something here? Well, there are two different statutes they're using. The security one is called Section 232 of the Trade Act, Mm -hmm. and that's the part of the law they've used about steel and aluminum tariffs, and also that they're thinking about tariffs about imported cars. With respect to China, they're using a different part of the law. It's called Section 301 of the Trade Act, and that's a broader provision. It's not just national security, and their arguments are partly right. So under this broader no-trade-cheating part of the trade law, Section 301, the administration is saying, listen, China is pretending that it is in a free market trade system, but it's grandly subsidizing different industries. It's doing predatory trade practices, so it's keeping out goods from other countries. It's dumping below the price of production goods into and oversupplying, so to jam up markets, goods into other countries. It is, through cyber espionage, just cracking into the designs and knowledge created in the U.S. to make it there versus to make it here. Some of that with ready partners with multinational companies who basically signed the devil's deal of, if you want to sell here, you have to give us our technology. And those things are not wrong. The problem is that this big, heavy mallet, which probably there is going to have to be some bonking over the head, cutting off the U.S. market. I mean, the only upside of having this ginormous trade deficit with China is we have leverage. So the elite in China need this market to maintain domestic peace. (laughs) People are making a bargain of less rights for more jobs. So we have leverage, but we're not asking for all the right stuff. For instance, we're not saying anything about the absolute lack of independent unions, labor rights, the right to have higher wages so that over time, a U.S. worker might actually be able to make something and sell it in China, and a Chinese worker has a decent wage. Right. We're not saying anything about the outrageous Uyghur prison camps, concentration camps, their work camps, where hundreds of thousands of Muslims are being 
confined and forced to work and the government is exporting products here. We're missing some of the key issues. And then there's just the question of trying to go it alone. Right. We've pissed off so many of our partners in other countries that can we even, if we have the right asks, do we have the leverage? Yeah. And those are all extraordinary questions. And so what's up with Mexico? I understand the Mexican Senate is going to vote on this new improved NAFTA this week. So probably next week, but you're spot on. That doesn't really mean anything Mm -hmm. because historically we've been at this very moment before Mm -hmm. where a Republican president signed a trade agreement that was going to create continuing outsourcing of jobs and race to the bottom. And that also added new rights for big pharma. That was George W. Bush, and that was in 2006. And then the Democrats won a majority in the House, just like happened now. And then in 2007, Speaker Pelosi said, not so fast. (laughs) Unless you get the big pharma stuff out and put labor and environmental standards in and much more strongly enforced, the agreement's not coming to Congress. And the president at the time, Bush, made a bunch of changes. These agreements have been signed. Two of them have been voted on in Peru and Colombia. They passed the old text that the Democrats said no way on. Peru and Colombia had to pass the new agreement. In fact, the only last four trade agreements that ever got through Congress had to be changed after they were signed. Hmm. So it's not a big deal. If the new NAFTA is going to go anywhere, the deal Trump signed last year would not stop job outsourcing the plague of NAFTA, a million jobs already gone, and would add new powers for big pharma to lock in high medicine prices. So the Democrats are saying, eh, you got to change it, you got to improve it. If it's not going to be a deal that's actually going to solve the old problems and not create new problems, we're not having it. So right now, Tom, literally in the next couple of weeks, the rub is going to hit the road. After weeks of the administration saying, months really, saying we're not changing a single comma, there is now about to start negotiations, and we're going to see if they will make the improvements or if they won't. And then there could be a battle royale either way. So I would say stay closely tuned. There could be an explosion and the whole NAFTA replacement fight is derailed, or maybe the Democrats will force the president to turn the deal he signed that doesn't cut it into something that's worth harvesting. Yeah been a player over the next couple of weeks. Fascinating stuff. We're talking with Lori Wallach, the executive director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Tradewatch.org is the website. We've been talking about democratic strategy. Should we be running a base campaign or a swing voter campaign, for example? You know, the Republicans have been using a base strategy ever since 1980, and the Democrats stopped using a base strategy in the election of 84. And in fact, you could argue in 1980, they stopped using a base strategy because Jimmy Carter was already embracing certain parts of neoliberalism with the deregulation of the airlines and rail and trucking industries and whatnot. So I wrote an op-ed, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you saw it, which basically said that if the Democrats want to lose the election in 2020, all they have to do is put up a so-called free trader, you know, somebody who likes the status quo with China, with Mexico, with everybody else. And if they want to win, they need a Sherrod Brown type of progressive who is saying, no, we need trade agreements that enforce labor standards, that enforce environmental standards and do it with tariffs, among other things. And we just need to steal this issue away from Trump. I'm wondering, as the executive director of Global Trade Watch, or as an individual, I don't know which hat you want to wear, or a political analyst, how you're hearing Democratic candidates messaging trade and jobs and how you think that messaging can be best conveyed or if you think that that's not even going to be part of it because Trump has basically stolen this issue from Democrats after 30 years of Democrats not doing it very well. Well, first of all, I think you're exactly right. The way that Trump gets a second term 
is right through those same Midwestern states that made him president in the first instance, and it's on trade. And there's a whole body of empirical research literature that shows the trade issue was the pivot issue in Wisconsin and Michigan, et cetera. So you're spot on on that point. I think that most of the Democratic candidates have learned that lesson. And you see very progressive proposals from Senators Warren and Sanders and Tim Ryan and other candidates. The one candidate who seems not to have gotten it is Biden. So it is very worrisome vis-a-vis whether or not Trump has a second term that all of the Democratic candidates understand that, not just for white working class Americans, but frankly, to give the rising American electorate of single women, people of color, of millennials, a reason to come out and vote, not just you have to worry about the people who switched, (laughs) but the people who have to be enthused, a very big part of a vision for the country where people have decent jobs and corporate power is constrained, is replacing these corporate rig trade agreements. And most of the Democratic candidates get that. Mm. If whoever is the nominee doesn't, it is an extremely perilous situation. Yeah, I don't disagree. And, and hopefully, you know, even Joe will figure this out and change, change his position. I haven't heard him talking about this, but I, mean, I don't want to turn this into a bashing of any of the Democratic candidates. But, Lori, thank you for your perspective, and, and thanks so much for dropping by today. I, it's always great talking with you. I always learn something from you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep your eye on NAFTA. It's happening. There you go. Lori Wallach, TradeWatch.org. So yesterday for Father's Day, uh, Louise and I went out and climbed a mountain. Well, part of one. (laughs) And boy, am I sore. And, uh, you know, then I had to go back and sit in my my office chair. And and I was, you know, I'm I'm working on this next book. And it's like, ah, why? Because it's the X chair. The X chair provides customized support in her office chair. I mean, when it comes to supporting perfect posture, providing ideal back support, no office chair compares to the X chair. The secret is the X chair's dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL. This patented feature is what sets the X chair apart from every other office chair in the world. Ideal posture and support equals comfort, and when you're comfortable, the hours spent in the office honestly fly by. Feel the DVL difference for yourself. Try an X-Chair for 30 days completely risk-free. X-Chair is on sale now for a hundred bucks off. Go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairthom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. You can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels for your X-Chair. That's xchairtom.com xchairtom.com. I may be coming to your city soon on our book tour for the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. I'll be in New York, Washington, D.C., Portland, Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco, Chicago, and Minneapolis. Here I come. More information is available at tomhartman.com. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. By the way, the, the whole book tour thing, this weekend, Friday, I'll be doing my show live from uh, KPFK in Los Angeles. And then Saturday at 3 in the afternoon, it's the KPFK Speakers Series. And Stephanie Miller is going to join me. 
And uh, I'm going to be talking about my new book, The Hidden History of Guns. And it's a fundraiser for KPFK as well. That's Saturday. On Sunday, Sunday night in Seattle at 730, I'll be at the town hall in Seattle. I believe that there, there are still tickets uh, available. They moved it to a much larger venue. On Tuesday, I'll be in San Francisco at the First Church. Actually, it's in Berkeley. And that'll be at 7 p.m. And on Friday this week, I'll be in Chicago at the Frugal Muse. And Saturday, next Saturday, June 29th, I'll be in St. Paul at Common Good Books. So at 7 p.m. So a lot coming up. Oh, my goodness. So anyhow, the final point I want to make is, as I was documenting how China's middle class has, has grown to the point that, you know, home, home ownership is at 90 percent. There's no student debt. You know, people don't go broke because they get sick. Now, I'm sure that there are exceptions to that rule. China's got, a, you know, 1.3 billion people. It's a huge country. There's, there's you know, poor parts of China, too. But, but broadly speaking, I mean, this, these are the national t- statistics that are broadly accepted by economists around the country. Meanwhile, here in the United States, 1989 was the last year that Ronald Reagan was in the White House. He was only in the White House for a few weeks, and then his uh, vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, got signed in, got sworn into office. But basically, that was Reagan's last year, or his last few weeks in office, 1989. At that point, Reaganism, Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, what was called horse and sparrow economics for the Harding and Coolidge and Hoover administrations back in the 1920s that led us right to the Great Depression, that was reinvented and called trickle-down economics or supply-side economics or Reaganomics. That started in the 80s, and it had really settled in by the end of the Reagan presidency, by the end of that eight years. So from 1989 to today, the top 1% have gone from having $9 trillion in wealth to having $30 trillion in wealth. They have gained 21 trillion, that's with a T, $21 trillion. Because of these very, very low tax rates, it allows them to just pour money out of their companies into their own pockets. And if they're pouring money out of their companies, they're taking it out of their workers' paychecks and things. And meanwhile, the bottom half of America lost $900 billion. And the bottom 50%, for them, $900 billion is a hell of a lot of money. So that's where we're at. Morris in Long Beach, let's see on KPFK. Morris, what's up? After listening to your program this morning, I would want to say this. If there was a high cabal, I'd say he lived in China. But anyway, the Mueller report, they did issue an indictment against the president. It wasn't publicized, it wasn't executed, but they did issue one because of the myth that you can't indict a sitting president. Uh, and I want to get How do you know that, Morris? How do I know? Because I was listening to him, because I've been listening to MSNBC, and the author of, I think his name, I didn't want to give the wrong name, his name was Wolf. He said he got a copy of it, Professor. I'm not going to call you up giving you no mess. Really? He Richard? He got a copy of it. Richard Wolf, right. the, uh, the reporter for. No, not, no, 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 another guy. I want to say Mike Wolf. Okay. But, uh, MSNBC, the guy oh, yeah. Michael, Michael Wolf's got a new book out. And the problem with that book, just like with his last book, it's got all, all this inside information from the Trump administration. Some of it's pretty scurrilous and scandalous. His principal source for his second book was uh, Steve Bannon. But the New York Times and the Washington Post have already identified dozens of places in the book where there are inaccuracies or, you know, the information is taken out of context. So I wouldn't take that one to the bank, Morris, although Michael uh, Wolf is very often right. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. He said he had a copy of the indictment. Right, but he didn't publish that copy, and he's not made it available to the press. That's a problem. Yeah. All right, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thank you, Morris. Good to hear from you. Van in Los Alamitos, California. Hey, Van, what's up? 
There have been two books written. One is China RX, and the other one is called A Bottle of Lies, and it deals with the generics that are made offshore. Okay. Uh, 80% of all of our generics are made between India and China. Right, and, and probably about 80% of our brand names as well, don't you think? Yeah, well, keep this in mind. There's only one country that makes penicillin, and that's China. Wow. Okay. Scary thought, huh? Yeah. Okay, that's about it. Okay, well, you got it. I mean, you know, this is if we're getting ready for a space war with China, which is, according to one of the Chinese generals, he wrote a book about it. Are we getting ready for a vaccine war or an antibiotic war? I don't know. Bob in Farnham, Virginia. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Uh, I think we're all a little bit amazed at the silence of the Republicans uh, regarding Russia and whatnot. Mm. And I've never been able to connect the dots with why last July there were seven Republican senators in Russia. For the 4th of July, right. Have, yeah. Yeah. And then Oleg Deripaska, who was on the sanction list, they get lifted. Trump imposes tariffs on imported aluminum. And now he's opening an aluminum plant in Kentucky. To help Mitch McConnell get reelected, yep. Yeah, I just wanted to hear uh, your thoughts on that. And I'm kind of surprised there's no more talk about it. I, you know, I, mean, I don't, I never heard I don't think it's so much Russia as it is international billionaires. I mean, it's like the, the billionaires have, have figured out that Donald Trump is their guy. Even if he's a, a grifter and a phony billionaire, at least he, he pretends to be one. And he certainly acts in the interests of the billionaire class. And so whether it's a Russian billionaire, whether it's a Ukrainian billionaire, if it's a, a Brazilian billionaire, an Israeli billionaire, I mean, you know, obviously a Saudi billionaire, pick your billionaires. They're lining up behind Trump all over the world. That's the bottom line, Bob. We're looking at I, basically an international, a worldwide revolution being fueled by right-wing billionaires, the so-called populist hard right revolution and it's happened in hungary it's happened in turkey it's happened in the philippines it's happened in indonesia it's happened now in brazil it's happening all around the world countries are either moving hard to the right or they're moving hard to the left and the middle is vanishing national right no longer nations that's correct numerals that's correct that's correct i never heard of a reason why the senators were there do you know i do not know to this day why seven republican senators decided to celebrate the fourth of july in moscow instead of in washington dc i don't know and I, again if, if this had been democrats the republicans would have been all over it like you know butter on toast i mean it's just incredible bob thanks for the call mark in Cosa mesta california hey mark what's on your mind today if he's declared an illegitimate president, Robert Reich said that, that we have every right to have the presidency annulled, and so that he would be considered an illegitimate president. Right. I hope I'm not saying things incorrectly. No, I think I think you're I, accurately quoting at least the the spirit of what Robert Reich said. I you know that clip yes. is floating around the internet, but the problem well, is wait, that wait, there's but, no reference to this anywhere in the Constitution. You mean it's, they can't act upon it? I don't know how. I, you know, there's there's literally no reference to anything like this in the Constitution. The only thing that is that could be used in, that's in the Constitution, and this is frankly how I think the GOP would have played it if, if Russia had helped Hillary Clinton get elected, for example, yeah. is they would immediately. I mean, literally the day that she's sworn in, they would be protesting. They would say she's an illegitimate president. Every day there would be protests out in front of the White House. Democrats would or Republicans would refuse to cooperate with anybody at the White House on anything. They would start a impeachment hearings and say that Hillary Clinton needs to be impeached because she got into power with the help of a foreign government. And they would just be relentless. And within a year or so, she'd probably 
you know, the entire administration probably would be taken down. But, you know, the Democrats are not playing it the way the Republicans do. And so here we are. It's kind of hard with McConnell and the Republicans sticking together and then just blocking everything. I get it. There's so many things that he that that Trump does that are that are so legal. His he should his daughter shouldn't be able to have a lemonade stand out in front of the White House. But what she's doing and then him going off to England, he doesn't care about the Queen and about England. He cares about heading over to Scotland and support, you know, playing golf at his golf course. Yeah. And Ireland, too. He went he made a side trip to Ireland that we all paid for just to play golf at his Irish golf course to promote it. Yeah, it's maddening. And he he said, oh, Camp David, we're paying money for Camp David. He said, oh, it's, it's fine. It's interesting for about a half hour off to Morocco and, and having right. people pay membership fees so they can... Uh, you know, yeah, now that actually is mentioned in the Constitution, Mark. It, it says that the president shall not take emoluments or gifts from foreign governments. And you've got, yeah, uh, right. I think it's 20, it's, we're up to either 22 or 27 foreign governments that have, you know, that the New York Times or the Washington Post, one or the other, has documented in a big way where they've dropped, we're talking, you know, six-figure money or more into Donald Trump's pockets through Trump properties. Yeah. We're paying for his security at his hotels. With, with yep. the, we got, he's got the best security for free. Oh, he I took a thousand think. people with him to England. I mean, you know, because he yeah. took his whole family and then the security details for every single one of them. It's insane, Mark. If a Democratic president was doing this, the Republicans would have impeached him two years ago. Mark, I'm with you. He is an illegitimate president. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Tom Harmon here with you. On the line with us is our old buddy Greg Palace, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker. Uh, his most recent work, The Best M- Democracy Money Can Buy. GregPalast.com is his website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palast. Uh, Greg, you just came back from, uh, from Mexico. Tell us what you learned. Yeah, I'm just over the border here. Well, I was just in Mexico while Trump was having his tariff tantrum. And I want to tell you that from on the ground here in Mexico, that uh, it's a very different story than, uh, well, you were talking about Trump's serial lying. Uh, this is just not uh, pants on fire. This is hat, shoes, and underpants on fire when he was talking about his, uh, how he backed down Mexico and whipped them into shape on, on migration. Uh, one lie after another. The, the U.S. had one single top demand, and that was that Mexico name uh, uh, name itself a safe third country asylum. That means that if someone's coming from Honduras, they can only seek asylum in Mexico, but not in the U.S. They, so they can't, they know... It can't be a transit country. country. It can only be a destination right. country. 
Right. And, and uh, uh, now the president of Mexico, who we call the Bernie Sanders of Mexico, AMLO, I've known him uh, a long time, uh, has said, no, no way that's going to happen because they aren't safe here. There's gangsters here that, that, are, that are preying on these people. They aren't safe. And so he won that, and he won AMLO, the Mexican president, won what he wanted, which is to restore, Trump agreed to restore aid, by the way, this is very quiet, aid to Central America, which he'd cut off. He said cutting off the aid was causing this 100,000 a month mass migration through Mexico to the U.S. border. And, um, and, you know, they said the only way to, to stop this is development. You know that Mexico... When its economy boomed, that we had an out-migration of two million undocumented Mexican citizens go back to Mexico in the past 10 years because of the economic boom in Mexico. That's right. That's what will bring people back. In fact, for, for I thought the, during the majority of uh, Obama's administration, there were more people yeah. leaving the United States, uh, Mexicans, more Mexicans leaving the United States, going back to Mexico. Um, uh, the, 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 the net inflow numbers were almost entirely Central Americans rather more. than Mexicans. Yeah. Two, two million more went back to Mexico. Now, um, AMLO... Now, even the conservative papers there, and I was with the group of, of, of uh, there was, a, you know, the annual meeting of the big group of Mexican uh, journalists uh, in the, uh, and I was with all of them, right, left, and center. They all said, Mexico, Ghana, Mexico won. Mexico beat the hell out of Trump on this one. Not only backed him down on the tariffs, but on, on several policies. So Trump made up stuff. Well, Pence put out a, a, a tweet that said that Mexico has agreed to accept all and he put in capital letters all migrants going through Mexico to the U.S. No, Mexico agreed to accept another 20,000, give them housing, education, and guarantee them jobs. 20,000, that's two weeks of, of migration, uh, 20,000 families. Mm-hmm. And that he did on a humanitarian basis because he said the splitting up of families in the U.S. he called a crime against humanity, and he wasn't going to allow it. He said, you know, we're not going to stand by. We will accept some people back so they're not torn apart. Uh, We also have Trump tweeting and Pence tweeting that uh, 6,000 troops uh, were being sent to the Guatemalan border, the National Guard, by AMLO, and that was because, you know, Trump just twisted his arm. No, that was announced weeks ago. They hadn't gotten there yet because they didn't have a National Guard until this month, by the way. And so now they're going there, and they are going there not because of Trump. This, again, this was announced well before Trump's tariff tantrum. They're going there, Tom, because they are trying to protect the migrants who are being murdered, raped, robbed by the what they call the Poyeros. They're arresting them, these coyotes in mass who are preying upon the migrants. And yeah, they're trying to reduce that flow because about 120,000 Hondurans and Salvadorans are crossing Guatemala into Mexico every month. And even for Mexicans who are very sympathetic, that's just way too much. So they have to slow down the flow. This has nothing, nothing to do with Trump. And, you know, it's ridiculous. He just had a tantrum, completely backed down. He had a, now he has to give aid to uh, Central America, which will be pretty much um, uh, matched and, and directed by Mexico. Uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> the great socialist president of Mexico just simply just, uh, you know, just won the whole the whole. He just thing. ate Trump's lunch. So, yeah. And yeah. So. Right. So, Greg, one of the points that I've been making on this program for a long time is that 
I don't consider these people migrants. I consider them refugees. Um, some yeah. of them are climate refugees. The, the climate is changing in, in that part of Central America as it is at, at, at mid-latitudes all around the world, at equatorial latitudes all around the world. Um, crops are failing, storms are getting worse, drought is intensifying. So some of them are climate change refugees. And then, and then the climate change is throwing people into the cities, um, people who don't have work, and so that exacerbates crime. Crime leads to gangs. And so I see all of this as symptomatic of, uh, of climate change in some way. I don't know if it's 10% of it is caused by climate change or 90% of it is caused by climate change, but whatever, and I'd love to know if you know what that yeah, number yeah, is, A, and B, why don't we refer to these people as refugees? Why, how, or, or am I missing something here? Well, two things. One, in Mexico, they're called refugees. That's why there's such great sympathy for the, uh, for the people coming from Honduras and Salvador and Guatemala. What's happening is that there is massive deforestation, which is one of the things that leads to climate change. And then, so the deforestation has meant less rainfall and the, and the, uh, the loss of uh, much of the growing season. You have to understand, these, these are campesinos who, you know, again, forced into the cities, no work, they're, they're preyed on by gangs, you either join or die, and that's why they want to leave. Yes, they are refugees, and it's understood that way. Um, and, uh, you know, um, my family was a refugee family, and that's how we got to the United States. Uh, Grandma Palace came in illegally, and, and uh, that's why I'm here talking to you. Okay, oh. And so, you know, this, we are a nation of immigrants. Uh, but again, from Mexico's view, um, there's no question that you've got uh, that, you know, Trump's tariff tantrum um, was a disaster for, was threatening disaster for Mexico and the United States. You know, Robert Lighthouser, who is the U.S. trade representative, uh, basically told Trump that he was about to commit suicide over this because this was going to sink the U.S., the new uh, NAFTA, the, uh, the, right. the U.S. Mexico-Canada new trade agreement, because the Mexican Congress wasn't going to vote to authorize a treaty with a guy who can't be trusted, who, you know, next week can just say, no, I'm ripping up this treaty. Right. You know, and, 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 and Lighthizer yeah. is actually, I mean, you know, he used to come on this program. He's, um, I agree with his trade positions yeah. by and large. Yeah. Um, and he, and, and AMLO he likes Lighthizer and he's saying, yeah, let's, you know, yeah. let's do something about environmental, you know, uh, regulations and, and labor protections and things like this. I mean, like you said, AMLO, the new president of Mexico is the Bernie Sanders of Mexico. And, and, you know, Lighthizer, uh, you know, he's, he's not a, a crazy Trumpy. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy who understands trade. Yeah, but so what's happened is, is that internally, like Peter Navarro, who is, who is, light, is, a, is an advisor to Trump, right. and so he's competing for Trump's attention. So he said, oh, this was a brilliant idea. And, but it's, understand, it's undermining the U.S. trade representative. This is a right. complete disaster that he's done this. And that damage can't be undone, because now Trump is seen as a guy you simply can't trust. And by the way, China was applauding this. Uh, she, who is in the course of trade war with, uh, with the U.S., and, and they are trade sheets in China. Yeah. And she is saying, well, you see, you can't cut a deal with this, with this uh, you know, orange stain baby. Uh, we, you know, uh, you can't do it. But uh, it's the fact that, that we are being lied to. Constantly, you know, we've gotten so used to it, Tom. Well, and beyond that, the media is not calling them out. I mean, you know, where, where's the media saying Trump is lying about Mexico? 
you know, all, well, they don't speak Spanish, <laughs> and, and they're not going to bother. They, you know, they've all withdrawn their Mexican, uh, their Mexican correspondence, and so they just get White House briefing papers. You know, and yeah. and so they they are repeaters, not reporters. It doesn't take a hell of a lot to read the Mexican newspapers. Uh, you know, you don't have to speak to the president or get an inside word. The troops, the National Guard, was going down to the border to to help the refugees. Uh, and to reduce the flow, try and try to help develop these nations. I mean, they were sending in relief workers into Honduras because, again, they're having floods and droughts. You know, drought and flood go together because you have a drought, the, the, the uh, trees die, the, the soil hardens, then you have a right. flood because the minute you have rain, you have mud flies. Right. So, you know, you, you know again, and, and you can't emphasize it enough, we have a we do have a climate crisis, and it's not fifty years from now. Ask a Honduran, ask a Guatemalan. We have a crisis right now, right. and this leads to political crisis. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 an amazing time. It really and truly is. Greg Pallast, um, the great Greg Pallast, the uh, Gonzo journalist of our era, investigative journalist, reporter, uh, filmmaker. His most recent, the uh, best democracy money can buy. GregPallast.com is the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Pallast. Greg, thanks for dropping by. You're very welcome. Always great talking with you. I always learn something. If you believe that you're not being snooped on or that nobody cares about your online data, well, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're wrong. Hackers, governments, and ad companies all slurp up your data. That's why I recommend getting the software that I trust to protect my online activity, ExpressVPN. Their apps use powerful encryption to secure your data. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then you use the internet just like you normally would. You download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN, and you shouldn't either. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 a month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Take back your online privacy just like I did with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com Tom. That's expressvpn.com Tom for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com Tom. That's expressvpn.com T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com Tom. Tom to learn more. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. We had a, uh, a poll of our uh, over on our YouTube channel. And uh, the poll was, uh, was Iran responsible for the attacks on the oil tankers in the, little, in the Middle East or is Trump lying? And if so, why? And uh, 4,300 people voted, which is, uh, and, and you can only vote once, I mean, because it, it throws a cookie at you. So uh, this is actually pretty good for a national poll. Um, 90% of the, of the people who voted said Trump is lying. 5% said, yes, Iran is responsible. And 5% said, what attacks? Here are some of the con uh, con uh, comments. Diane Davidson said, we've seen this movie before, and the world is tired of the U.S. Excuse me, destabilizing other countries for profit. Young people don't buy this nonsense anymore. Uh, Petting says there's no way Iran could win a direct conflict with the world's largest military force, and they know it. So why in the world would they provoke the USA? Johnny T says it's very possible Bolton and Pompeo are lying to Trump and that he actually believes it was Iran. But Iran has no motive, and Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Israel have tons of motive. That's where I'd start if I were investigating. Player X says uh, Trump lies so much that almost... And by the way, did you see the George Papadopoulos inter or George Stephanopoulos interview? Uh, I mean, it's like Trump lied about everything. It was like almost every sentence out of his mouth was a lie. 
And when Stephanopoulos tried to correct him, he was like, nope, 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 my lies are the right lies. Anyhow, uh, Trump's, uh, Trump lies so much that uh, the, uh, everything that comes out of his mouth, you can immediately assume the opposite is true. Uh, Junior says, I don't believe there's any attacks. D DAC says, I guess people are really that stupid. Uh, Moran was ca caught red-handed on the video. So, you know, your thoughts on that? I mean, are we on the edge of war with China? Or are we the, on the ed edge of war with Iran? Trump tweeted, and we will, like I said, we're going to get into this at some depth in the third hour with Trita Parsi. Um, but uh, Trump tweeted four different times during the Obama administration that Barack Obama at any minute was going to start a war with Iran because that's what he needed to do to get himself or to get Democrats reelected. And now Trump is trying to get reelected and he is so underwater that he has fired his pollsters. He doesn't like bad news. This is literally the case of the king chopping off the head of the messenger who brought him a message he doesn't like. Corky in Hilton, New York. Hey, Corky, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Yeah, I'm getting tired of these people uh, taking the Fifth Amendment, not answering questions. Right. The Fifth Amendment isn't pertinent to the question of where is your office located. They ought to have yeah. U.S. markers. This, yeah, for people who don't know what you're talking about, Corky, one of the questions that Hope Hicks refused to, uh, to answer this morning when, con when she was testifying in closed-door session before Congress was, uh, you know, where was your office located in the White House? And she said, that's covered by executive privilege. She basically was saying, I'm not going to answer anything about my time in the White House, period, full stop. Um, you know, I get that. Uh, I, I agree with you, Corky. I don't think that that's something that should be covered by executive privilege. But, uh, you know, this is what you've got. Chandler in Sedona, Arizona. Hey, Chandler, what's on your mind today? Oh, I've been thinking about the Mueller report and the um, degree to which we um, get so involved in that and in the report and ignore so studiously the fact that the United States far exceeds any power in the world in meddling in other people's elections. It certainly seems that way. You know, we did that in the in Ukraine. We've we did that in Russia. We did that in uh, I, I mean, pick a country, right? I mean, you know, we've we've been messing in people's well, elections try, forever. But that, consider, but that, but but rather than using that as a justification for Russia meddling in our election, and now we learn that it's not just Russia; it's six countries, including the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, um, who who meddled actually successfully meddled in our last election, the 2016 election, and are probably going to try to in the 2020 election. Instead of using that as a justification for accepting that, we should simply we, what we should be doing is an international effort to say we're going to stop meddling in other people's countries. They need to stop meddling in ours. Let's put an end to all of this. It's wrong. I, I underline what you're saying. Um, I thoroughly agree. The other, the other point I'd make, um, look at how many elections and how many regimes we've meddled in in Latin America. And I, the two yep. egregious ones that come to mind are Guatemala and Chile. Yep. And they, so, um, and Iraq and Iran. And I mean, you know, it just, well, it, it, I, I specifically referred to Latin America in that regard. Yep. But, um, Anyhow, keep it with good. And thanks for carrying Greg Palace this morning. That was a great session. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Chandler, thank you very much for the call. It's nice to hear from you. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, what's on your mind today? I just want to talk about what's going on in the Persian Gulf. So the Gulf of Oman, actually, is where most of it is happening, but it's right next door. Oh. Yeah, with you. Okay, Gulf of Oman. I believe that all these attacks are a stage provocation by... United States and Israel in order 
to build up the narrative for a war. If you look at our history, you can see that America has always pushed for engaging in wars, even in countries where we don't have any stake in the game, like World War One. We were going to get into that regardless of what happened because of Wall Street. World War II, even if Pearl Harbor didn't happen, there was um, basically an undeclared shooting war in the Atlantic with German troop uh, submarines. Right. We buried the news about that, but there were a number of German submarines that made it all the way to basically New York City. And like you said, we had shootouts with them, and it was never reported during the war. Roosevelt didn't want to freak out Americans. Yes, and then you have the Gulf of Tonkin, which the CIA lied to us about. Yeah, well, um, actually, you can go to back to the 1890s. You have the USS Maine, and uh, wasn't that in, it, it was in port in, was it Cuba? The boiler exploded, and the president said, aha, you know, this was the Spanish, and that kicked off the Spanish-American War. However, I have to point out, though, that when McKinley made his address to Congress for war, when that was made, uh, he didn't actually ever bring up the USS Maine in that. No, but that, that was, was the slogan that others. the newspapers used. Yes. I mean, Frederick Remington was an artist, and he was living in Cuba at the time, as I recall. And William Randolph Hearst sent him a letter saying, give me the pictures, and I'll give you the war. It's amazing. Like, the warmongers of their time, uh, now we got the warmongers of our time yeah. with John Bolton and... Mike Pompeo and Donald Trump. I, I don't think a lot of people give Donald Trump enough credit for his uh, provocation towards Iran. I mean, he. Has See, been I'm, doing you know, I, I get your theory, Jared, that it's Trump and Israel, and and Trump and Israel are up to weird stuff. I mean, Netanyahu just dedicated a a community in the Golan Heights to Donald Trump. Well, it turns out there is no community. No money was appropriated. There's no building plans. There's not even a place where it's going to go. All Netanyahu did was make a sign and take a picture next to it. This is Trump Heights. And Trump is thanking him on Twitter, right? I mean, you know, this is this is weird stuff. But I think, frankly, that Saudi Arabia has a lot more skin in this game right now. They're, they're fighting a proxy war with, with Iran in Yemen. You know, the Houthis are, are aligned with, the, they're, they're basically Shia, and they're aligned with Iran, and, and uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, the, the Sunnis, want to stomp this out. And so if, if any, in my opinion, none of us know right now, and you got the federal government saying it's the Iranians, and they've got that video of that little boat saying, you know, taking a limpet mine off the side of a ship, they're saying, but our allies, Germany and Great Britain, are both saying, show us some proof. We'd like to see something that's actually provable. I think the UAE and Saudi Arabia have more incentive to have a war with Iran than even Israel does. Israel, you know, they're an irritation to Israel. But I agree that their, their hostility towards Iran is very similar. The UAE, Saudi Arabia, Israel, the Republican Party. But what I don't get is... Why do they think that this is going to be an easy cakewalk? What could be the reason that they're pushing us towards this brink? Because they know that sanctions are going to lead to a war. We, we know that sanctions are an act of war. And when you, you can't sell oil on the market, eventually it's going to lead to a backlash. And we're seeing, well, I, I don't know if these attacks are true or not, but we're seeing this great push towards a war, and I believe that the military is going to go along with it because they've been getting so much funding from Donald Trump, just billions and billions more extra dollars. 
And they're going to have to use that equipment somewhere because when you have all this military equipment sitting around, it's like, you know, hey, we, we need a war. We got to actually. You know that, that. Our, our defense budget never went above $260 billion a year throughout the 90s. And right now it's like, what, $700 billion? During Bush, he by 2008, he took it up to $526 billion. Now it's, you know, Trump is bragging about $700 billion. And the thing that concerns me about Trump, on the one hand, you know, he campaigned on no more stupid wars, which is a fine thing, and, you know, a lot of us saluted that. On the other hand, he was convinced that Barack Obama was going to start a war with Iran in order to get himself reelected. He apparently, th- and, he, and tweeted this four different times, he apparently thinks war with Iran is a way for a sitting president to get reelected. And that concerns me tremendously. But, you know, that also suggests that if he's going to have a war with Iran, he's not going to start it until next year. Jared, thanks for the call. It's a complex subject, and we all need to You're watch it. to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And watch it carefully. Welcome back. Let's check in with uh, Talk Media News and find out what's up in the world today. On the line with us, Bob Nay, author of Sideswipe, former congressman from Ohio. Uh, Bob, what's going on in the world today? Hope Hicks. She was once the president's closest confidant. In fact, when she left, there were uh, constant phone calls to Hope Hicks from the president. And they also have said within the White House that he actually called her more than he uh, actually called his chief of staff. So she was in the definite inner circle of the White House. And she uh, is back today behind closed doors to give some testimony. And the Trump administration did make a last-ditch effort on the issue of immunity to attempt to, you know, stop her from uh, testifying. Now, I just want to frame this the right way, Tom. I don't uh, view her and the people that follow this in the press corps don't view her as a hostile uh, person to the president. However, uh, she's also viewed as someone who is going to answer the questions because she doesn't want to be wrapped into this any further. And so she will answer questions, obviously, by not fighting showing up in itself says that but she is on the payroll of fox los angeles right. uh, fox corporation so it'll be interesting the angle on hope hicks is you know her involvement by uh, being on air force one with the president when there was a draft of a note in her correspondence to the president's son which all leads towards the issue uh was there an attempt of obstruction of justice by the president writing up a statement for his son to quote recall the facts of the meeting with the Russians. Yeah, yeah, and so and 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 that evokes images of bears and popes. I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious. But, right. But, but anyway, and, and there's also going to be some other questions about the that are not directly on the Russian topic, but about the president and the operation, you know, of the White House and then how it works. Right. Um, on another topic, Tom, I don't know what to make of this story uh, with the Office of Personnel Management. The Trump administration is trying to completely do away with it, period. And they're threatening to start to furlough and lay off people. And, uh, you know, it's been reported by watchdog groups that the uh, killing of this agency would uh, would not ease the whole long-standing retirement claim backlog that are, you know, is furious all over the government. And this is the agency that handles it. So... I don't know what the motive is or why they're going after this in particular. I don't, I don't, I don't know much about the Office of Personnel Management. I thought they did security background checks. 
Oh, yes, they do that, too. So, yes, I mean, that's, they do, they do. That's, that's where Trump keeps getting tripped up, is he's doing no background checks on these. Yeah, this is what happened with Shanahan, you know, our, who the guy who was going to be our defense secretary. Um, and, and, and he keeps getting people in who've got all these scandals in their past that could be used by a foreign or hostile government as blackmail material against them. Um, as I, increasingly, I think more and more Americans think Trump is being blackmailed, and and uh, he seems not to care. I mean, do you think it's uh, it's all about these these uh, background checks? Is he upset that they wouldn't give Kushner and his daughter a background check? You know, I I read about the background checks, and I was trying to you know for the news today to come to some type of conclusion. And the only thing that stuck out of why he, he would get rid of this would have to do with the fact that. Not that he thinks that, you know, he can do away with background checks, but do away with the agency out of anger, right. if anything. Yeah, yeah. He's, out of the he's, point uh, of anger. I mean, he didn't like what his pollsters said. He fired them. He doesn't like uh, what the OPB said uh, or OPM said. And uh, so he's going to nuke them. I mean, it just this is, this is Petulant Child 101, it seems to me, anyway. Yes, because I, I, I looked at this story, I reread it several times, and I thought, what would be the motivation? And all I can come up with is anger, uh, and the thing that did jump out at me was the fact the agency, of course, does the background checks, right. because the rest of it takes care of backlogs, and there's a lot of backlogs. Uh, today, the reparations hearing is up on Capitol Hill, and uh, that will be uh, interesting. And Now, the issue has two different uh, aspects to it. Because when, when we say reparations, a lot of people have immediately said, oh, you mean a direct payment per citizen. This is beyond that. This is a, a you know, piece of legislation, number 40, which in fact will then set up uh, commissions that will look at ways to uh, do something with inequalities you know, created uh, and, the, and the attitude of what comes off of uh, the slavery you know, that was within our country, with, you know, within our borders. Right. So that's what the bill boils down to. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of clarify that. And then Russia and China have given the United States a warning. Now, they've also sent some words to Tehran, too. So it's not just been one-sided, where it's a, sort of a political statement. But I would think this is a genuine statement by the two countries, because... They're saying that the United States is pumping up the tensions in the Mideast. It could open a Pandora's box. It also tells Tehran to please uh, show some restraint and also to remain within the parameters of the 2015 accord that we, the United States, and other countries signed with Iran. But they did express the worry that this is now building up so rapidly with us uh, sending the troops is what actually started this. Yeah, and, and one of them, I think it was China, literally used the phrase Pandora's box, didn't they? Pandora's box. They yeah, did. remarkable. Mike in uh, Belmont, Massachusetts. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. You know, my son uh, voted for Trump. He's we sort of he was not really raised by me, so he has some different viewpoints. Um, and we got into lots of arguments over it. was really, you know, really hard in 2016. Um, but in the recent year or so, we've come together. We've had a, shared a lot of interesting conversations. And uh, he says now that he, want, he will end up voting probably for a Democrat because he wants somebody that's going to deal with climate change. And he thinks Trump has not done that. Oh, it's not just that he thinks Trump is not. <laughs> Trump has Trump just ordered all of the agencies that deal with science to dial back their number of scientists by a third. I mean, this is this right. is what Trump's up to. So I, I, th I think if the yeah. Democrat, yeah. I know yeah. that, yeah. In that fact, uh, if, the guy from 
Go ahead. I know the guy from Washington tried to get a debate. Uh, Inslee, Jay Inslee. Yeah, Jay Inslee. Yeah, he wanted a climate change debate. On climate change. Right. Yeah. But I think if they did that, or if they, at least they concentrated on those things in the debates, I right. think that they would get a lot of people that you formerly voted for Trump. Yeah, I agree. And and any of those folks who are tr you know trying to figure out what's the story with climate change, tell them to go to HBO.com and you can watch yeah. for free now this I, new documentary that Leonardo did. Uh, that is just so Ice spectacular. On Ice on fire. Yep, there you go. I watched that. It was a really good movie. Thank you, Tom. Great. Thank you, Mike. I got to run. Thanks a lot okay. for the call. And thanks for All listening right. to Sirius XM. Tina in Sirius, California. Tina, what's up? Hi. Um, well, I was just saying, you know, a lot of people, when it comes to being able to vote, for instance, not many people who are homeless know that if they can put down the address of a uh, shelter that they go to, as their address and get registered, they can vote. Right. Well, and, and, and uh, one of the one of the problems we have, Tina, is that you know there used to be groups that that registered poor people and homeless people. The largest was Acorn, and mm -hmm. you know the Republicans have basically shut all these groups down. And red state after red state has passed, have, you know, in order to protect their Republican majorities, have passed laws making, you know, basically criminalizing voter registration drives to where if you make one mistake on a voter registration card, um, then your organization can be faced with huge fines or even its executives can go to jail. And so in Florida and in Texas, the League of Women Voters has stopped registering people. And, you know, so uh, I mean, this is a really serious problem for the Democratic Party. That, yeah, that, I understand uh, that, but it's, it, it, I mean, double, triple, four, quadruple check. Make sure you don't make any mistakes. Well, yeah, and, you know, that's the ideal thing. And, in fact, there are some groups that are still doing that. They're doing it in the face of these laws. Some of them, you know, I, I doubt any of them are hoping to have, you know, a litigation, uh, you know, kind of outcome where somebody gets arrested and they get to work it out. But, Tina, thank you for the call, and thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Um, and thank you for being with us today. It's been a fascinating day. It's been a fascinating conversation. And, you know, as time goes on and we get closer and closer to the elections, we'll, we'll get deeper and deeper into the individual candidates and what's up and in particular during and after the debates which are you know coming up what the week after next so we'll carry on this conversation tomorrow same time same place in the meantime don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport it doesn't happen magically and and the you know the right-wing billionaires certainly aren't going to make it happen it requires you so get out there get active tag you're it i'll see you tomorrow You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.